start off by saying you must choose one, Buffalo or Dunedin. What do you got? Uh, um, I'm going to say Dunedin just because I've been to Dunedin mm. and it is a nice little slice of Florida that seems to avoid a lot of the chaos that swirls around in that state. Um, and the Blue Jays have done such work on the complex that it's now like a little oasis away from, you know, whatever Florida man is riding an alligator through a Dairy Queen drive through wearing nothing but a Publix bag on his head. <laughs> you whatever. Mean, you mean I, Governor DeSantis? <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. I, I believe that's how he came up with his COVID policies. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it, it's a tough choice because um, Buffalo was great to the, to the fans um, who were, were able to show up. Although, you know, too many Yankees fans for my liking. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, what other ballpark can you feasibly try and hit the windshield of a car with a home run? Yes. Oh God. Yeah. Like they're they're not many. They're not many. You can hit water. You can't ding someone's Miata. So <laughs> Buff, you, Buffalo has that going for it. It's, it's it's charming. I would I would love to get back to Buffalo um, at some point and not just passing through. Um, but I I would go then even. Yeah, I think if you timed it just right at Wrigley, if you nailed it onto Waveland or Sheffield when the car was driving by, you might. But uh, but yeah, definitely. In terms of volume, Buffalo wins out for that. Uh, yeah, have yeah you... but Wrigley, Wrigley, you wouldn't be able to see it. In Buffalo, right. you can see it and nail oh. the car. Nice. The, oh, you got to have the visual. <laughs> you got to have that little league moment. moment, you know, when when the when the big six foot two, twelve year old comes up and just bashes it and and it wrecks someone's windshield. <laughs> Gosh, that that's like an ultimate walk off home run when you get to that point. That's that's. <laughs> How many people from Canada were able to cross the border into Buffalo when the Jays were playing there? Was that a regular thing? Um, it, it wasn't for the first little bit. It was, um, I think, during the last couple homestands when um, um, uh, there might have been a little bit of traffic. I, I know, um, like, I'm friends with Keegan Matheson, the MLB.com uh, reporter. He was finally able to get down to Buffalo and actually cover live games for the first time in forever. Mm. I don't know how many other people were able to do that. But it, it was it was possible for Canadians to see play in Buffalo. So nice. obviously a lot more possible now. Yes. Hence why I'm going next week. But I'm so I'm excited for you. Like the second you told me about that, like it's, it's such that that first moment when you walk in and you realize, yeah, I'm back. Like it, <laughs> it's a trip. It's it's such it and all the endorphins and serotonin kind of hit at once. It's, it's really beautiful. I'm really looking it, forward to hearing about that moment for you. It, it hits a lot different after a, a thousand kilometer plane ride as well. So. <laughs> I can imagine, yes. Did you ever think that uh, the Skydome would ever produce serotonin? Um, I, I mean, not, not on its own. Definitely needs a lot of help. Um, like the the last game that I went to produced a lot of serotonin because that was the uh, the twelve inning game against the Yankees where Bo Bichette walked it off nice. with the solo shot. So mm. that a lot of serotonin in that moment. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the building itself needs people. The building itself needs um people invested 
in it and 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 action in there to really get those serotonin levels up because you're you're not gonna you're not gonna you know go go to the outside of the rogers center and just like Mm. Uh, yeah no it does not inspire such joy the 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 creepy fan statues affixed to the side (laughs) of the building don't quite do it for you no no they do not uh but there will be lots of serotonin it sounds like uh for the jays in the next couple months and we will dig into that after the show open here this is three strikes throughout the outsports baseball podcast episode number 85 my name is ken schultz contributing writer to outsports and baseball prospectus and stand-up comedian who just hit the stage for the first time last week as well uh produced oh. eh, medium serotonin we'll call it uh, <laughs> and uh, more than the rogers center more is- than the rogers center more than the Rogers Center, yes. So the, uh, that crowd that I got uh, would probably get a bit lost in the Rogers Center, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, the other voice you are hearing is friend of the pod, familiar voice, host of Locked On Jays podcast, writer for Jays from the couch. AJ Andrews is back. AJ, so good to see you again. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on, Ken. I'm, I'm glad we can talk in happier times because if we were doing this in April or May, my God, would I have been so freaking sour. Yeah, and so that's kind of what I wanted to pick up with you about in terms of the Jays, just viewing them from afar, the way that it appears their season is gone, like the first couple months, it always, it felt like that they were kind of on the verge of being competent to good and they'd go off in a winning streak and then they'd give up like a ninth inning home run to JD Martinez and get waxed by the Red Sox and fall back. So what is kind of the turning point where it went from those first couple months of kind of good, good, good frustration to, oh no, this is like a legit contender at this point. Getting Tyler Chatwood the hell out of here. Yeah, I completely <laughs> understand. Yeah, I, in there. <laughs> I, I did that just for you. <laughs> um, but uh, no, it's been kind of building a little bit. I mean, the, the front office knew exactly what they had on their hands. They had a team that, when the lineup was healthy, would be able to generate a ton of offense. They had a rotation that they were all right with, but would see what would happen. Um, and they had a bullpen that they're like, let's, let's <laughs> see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, the injuries at the start of the season did not help. George Springer, obviously – the biggest one, but there were so many names that ended up hitting uh, the IL at points. Ryan Barucki went on the IL. Um, Rafael Delis went on the IL. He still hasn't been right. Jordan Romano, um, um, Julian Merriweather, uh, basically the entire front line of the bullpen. That's not even including Kirby Yates, who will have the distinction of never throwing a pitch for the Blue Jays, despite (laughs) getting paid by the Blue Jays. Um, um, and there were, it was just too much to really expect guys like Anthony Castro and Joel Payamps um, and Carl Edwards Jr. Throwing mm. out another name for you. My guy. Um, <laughs> he's, he's on rehab now. So who, who knows? I, I don't think he'll be back with this bullpen. He'll probably just get his release after. But yeah, he's, hey. he comes around. But he, he still, if whatever, whatever happens the rest of his career, he got two of the first uh, two of the most important outs in cub history yeah no exactly but um it was it was just a churn and just you could see that in the reactions of the front office just trying to find guys to fill space paying money for jeremy beasley paying money for jacob bards allowing tanner roark to actually pitch three games for this team like 
there, there was there was no level of consistency there. Best emblemized by Tyler Chatwood and his complete lack of consistency. I I don't I can't tell you how many celebrations there were on Twitter when Tyler Chatwood was DFA'd because he he was it was, it was just so maddening because he'd be so good one day and then he'd walk five batters in a row the next day. And it's like, can you can you settle on a happy medium? You'd think. Take the average. Yes. 2.5 would be great. It's Yeah. yeah. Uh, executives look at Tyler Chetwood like housewives reading a romance novel where it is, it, they look at the stats and go, I can fix him. And, <laughs> no, he can't. He is who he is. It's, it's yeah. frustrating to tell, but... He has a 382 fielding independent pitching. If uh, only we can just straighten him out a little, uh-huh, he'll be yeah. fine. But yeah, unfortunately, he has what a 600 reality based pitching. <laughs> 546 ERA at the yeah, time of release. Close enough. I mean, yeah, and, and I mean it, that goes back to like even when the fir- Cubs first time away, it was well, no, it's I mean his his sky high numbers. That's because he pitches in Colorado, and no, no. He, he throws fastballs and he can't locate it. It doesn't matter how thin the air is. It's that happens everywhere. Yeah, no, it's it's just time time to let him go. And like you saw that in the moves that the Blue Jays made up to the deadline when they were heavily focused on the bullpen. And they they had some pieces that they were able to use. Um, they had payroll flexibility that they were able to use. Hence why they got Adam Simber from Miami along with Corey Dickerson, who's, who's finally going to be our lefty bat. Mm. Acquiring Dickerson meant Rowdy Telez was completely expendable. He gets flipped for tre- uh, Trevor Richards from Milwaukee, another guy who's able to go two innings. Basically better Tyler Chatwood. Mm-hmm. So Chatwood, Chatwood is iced. Um, and, then, and then close through the deadline. Finally, finally fulfilling my wishes of bringing Brad Hand to Toronto. I'd only been <laughs> screaming about it for a year. Nice. They finally did it. Um, and then they got Joaquin Soria as well. And he's pitched like one game before going on the injured list in this new rash of injuries that have hit the Blue Jays bullpen where they're now without Soria and without Tim Meza. But um, they've, they've gone through, they've actually found the depth guys who can fill in those guys. And, and it's from the organization as well, which is nice. Cause it's not like, Oh, we need to get Carl Edwards jr. Out here. Oh, let's see if Jesse Orozco still has anything in the tank. No, they actually have guys in the organization. They call up a Taylor Saucedo, they call up Curdy Sneed. They have guys who can actually put out there and expect them to perform at a comparable level instead of just crossing their fingers and praying Tommy Malone still has something. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. What you described to me kind of sounds a lot like the Padres approach to the late season last year, where they recognized, oh, yeah, there are still big holes. So let's just keep acquiring guys until we've got enough of a volume where we feel like maybe by chance there's enough good now. Maybe, maybe. Fingers crossed. I mean, I mean, they're they're still doing that to an extent. They um, they DFA'd one of their prospects, Patrick Murphy, in order to to get Connor Overton on the 40 man roster. Um, and Overton's a guy who dabbled in AAA a little bit in the San Francisco organization, but never really had anything. He was pitching an indie ball in 2019, um, signed a minor league deal with Toronto and has a 203 ERA this season. Hmm. So um, they're still doing it, but at least they're waiting for guys to produce before they're like, all right, let's get you out there and see what you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, in terms of their starting pitching, it's been surprisingly good to this point. It, 
you look at in terms of uh, Robbie Ray and Alec Manoa, I think is it, and the numbers that they're putting up are, I mean, that's top of the line for just about any pitching staff at this point. Uh, you have Hun Jin Ryu with an ERA in the high threes, which isn't the best, but is still in the AL East. You take that. And then in terms of trade deadline moves, you got Jose Barrios, which you can't really do much better in terms of acquiring a starter at this point. Uh, oh is God. it shocking that there's like a little bit of depth in this point compared to, you know, what we just talked about with the bullpen? Not really. Like I, I went on, um, when, when the lockdown network asked its toast to do like bold predictions for the season, I said the Blue Jays were going to have at least two 15 game winners for the first time since 2015, I believe when it was, um, uh, Stroman and I think it was Hap actually, instead of Aaron Sanchez. Um, but that's a pretty big stretch considering the last full season that the Blue Jays had in 2019, um, their leader in wins was six. Hmm. And that was Marcus Stroman before he got traded. So you wanted to match his jersey number? (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. Him, him, Trent Thornton, and Daniel Hudson tied for the team league and wins with six. Wow. Um, This this year we had three pitchers surpass that by the all-star break. And, you know, again, this is the Blue Jays strategy. you know, maybe it's why they thought they could iron out Tyler Chatwood and, and make him the reliever he was meant to be because Robbie Ray has been such a success story for them, turning him around, allowing him to get back to what was comfortable. He said the Diamondbacks were kind of tinkering with his um, with his mechanics a little bit. He's mm-hmm. gone back to what made him successful, and it's showing with the 290 ERA and 22 starts and 159 strikeouts in 130 innings and the just 35 walks for a guy who was leading the national league at walks when they acquired him last year. And, and then Steven Matz having, having a nice little bounce back after they acquired him on the cheap um, nine and seven, four twenty eight ERA. Hey, that's average. We will take average with that offense. Um, but he's not getting absolutely shellacked like he was last year. And that's another case where the Blue Jays bought low on a player they thought they could take take a chance on, see what they had. And Matt's has done enough to, you know, at least stick around a little bit. I don't know if he would have stuck in the rotation given the way Ross Stripling had been pitched prior to his injury. Because um, Stripling was on a tear um, prior to his oblique injury. But, um, yeah, the, ba- the big... Uh, ticket acquisition of Barrios gives the Blue Jays just a a five man rotation that I I don't know who else has a comparable rotation at the moment. Maybe the White Sox, um, but they just lost they just lost Rodon um, to injury. Yeah. So the talk here is that that's kind of just a you know we're kind of going to talk about an injury, but it's really also just to get him rest because they're ten and a half up. So mm-hmm. I, I would expect unless I hear something surprising that he'll be back in 10 days and ready to go. But yeah, yeah, it's certainly in terms of the AL East, there's, I, nobody can compare to that, which is kind of astounding given, you know, the incredibly deep pocketbooks of the Yankees and Red Sox. So. And and just the, the golden retriever, like luck of the Rays running into starting pitching. Although the Rays always want to do things. So, Hey, notice this funky thing that we just, our front office just invented. So they can't have five competent starting pitchers because otherwise it'll take away from, oh, the incredible bullpen with, with all the angles. And it, yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah, honestly, yeah. 
I think it, it's certainly something of a market inefficiency at this point to take advantage of. If you've got five competent to, at, at this point, certainly the case of Ray and Manoa, really good starters who are also able to eat innings. I mean, mm. where, as you say, where else in the game can you find that? that that's huge. Yeah. And um, in the, we're recording on Thursday. Um, in the game last night, Manoa went 114 pitches. And I don't know how many starters I've seen been able to do that, let alone a rookie going yeah. out there and, and going that that deep with that many pitches into a game. And that's also kind of helped alleviate the bullpen issues because where the Blue Jays were getting burned um, was having to throw four or five guys in their bullpen out there and expect them to get through because Ross Stripling only lasted four innings. Um, Steven Matz had to come out af after four innings. Um, Anthony Kay just got shelled. Yeah. Like, there, there were there were reasons why the bullpen was were put in such bad spots, but having competent starting pitching means that those arms can now focus on doing their jobs. I mean, Rafael Delis at the at the start of the season was an eighth inning, ninth inning guy. Now he's going out in like the sixth inning hmm. to to get his work in. Now now he's pitching when the Blue Jays have like a massive lead. It's it's a luxury that the Blue Jays didn't really have, and it showed in the results on the field that despite um, their offense being as prolific as it was, I mean, the run differential don't lie. They, they put up a ton of runs, but a lot of those were coming in the 15-1 blowouts. It wasn't coming in those one-run games that they kept losing and kept being so maddening that they kept giving up just enough to lose. Now they have guys who know their role, can, can actually perform in that role, and deliver results that allow the offense to to succeed in in its ways and and you know that that's the big key to success that's why you know they're able to ride the energy off that homestand earlier this month nine and two homestand yes it's against kansas city and cleveland and a tail spinning boston team but they they would have gone like five and six if that homestand happened in May. Right. Like now they have the tools to actually take advantage of their situation. Yeah. And I did want to ask about that too, because the narrative, certainly in the baseball media, and it's understandable why they gravitate toward it, is that now that the Jays have finally returned to Toronto, it's re-energized the team. And is that, you know, is there any bit of reality involved in that? Or is that just, as you say, the timing of all of this roster machinations coming together? I think there is a little bit because um, as I said in the, um, in the, off the top of the podcast, while they were playing in Buffalo, yeah, they were the home team, but you still had a ton of Yankees fans, a ton of Mets fans, a ton of um, like Pirates fans. <laughs> Just like, like it was, it was always half and half when they were Dunedin, ton of Yankees fans, ton of um, Red Sox fans the occasional handful of Rays fans because they exist. <laughs> um, it, it was never truly a home game for them. They were still battling for attention with these other fan bases in Toronto. That is not the case. They have the full attention. They have the full throated roars of the crowd in their favor. And, and you, you see it in guys like a George Springer who, you know, as I said, struggled with those injuries early in the season, wasn't able to get going, was incredibly disappointing leading up to the All-Star break, but has been on an absolute tear the past month, showing why he's a $150 million man. 
and and getting those cheers that you know if if he let's be honest if he was still on the astros would he have gotten those hell no and like <laughs> when he was in the um against the angels this series he still heard the booze because they remember they like they're they're not as full-throated about it as oakland but they remember mm-hmm. oh yeah and, and so. the there's some Dodger fans who probably bought tickets to boo him too, because that's what Dodger <laughs> fans do at this point. Oh yeah. A very angry, successful fan base right now. Uh, oh yeah. But, but you know, they, they have their own issues. How's Trevor Bauer looking by the way, Los Angeles? Oh God. <laughs> uh, garbage person, Trevor Bauer to go with yeah. garbage person, Julio a Urias move, in your rotation. Yeah. A Great. move that even from a baseball standpoint didn't need to be made, let alone from a humanity standpoint. Yeah, good lord. Yeah. Uh, is there a sense of pent up energy among the fan base that are coming to games in Toronto right now that they've been waiting for two years to let this out and let them hear it? <laughs> I I think there is. Like I've I'll I'll know firsthand next week mm-hmm. when I when I make my return to Toronto and I'm able to go to that uh, that first game of that second homestand when they take on Detroit. Um. But what I've been able to see from my friends on Twitter and from other people on Twitter, there's just a, a, a joy that's been missing, a, a feeling of, of calm happiness and being in the ballpark, being with other like-minded people at a distance, at a safe distance. Sensible. And, and exactly. And, and just being able to, to show your support directly to the fans or, or to the team, like, and have the team interact directly with the fans. Like that that's a relationship that goes both ways. As as we saw um in the finale, I think, against the Red Sox. Um, kid showed up with his own Blue Jays home run jacket and got Vladdy and Lourdes Guriel to sign it. Love it. Like like that kind of interaction is is just missing on both sides. And I think it fuels both sides and, and allows both the players and the fans to, to feel more connected with this team, as opposed to, to just seeing them play in empty stadiums in Florida and New York. And I, th- I think you'll find when you see it in person, uh, I found this to be the case when I went early on uh, this season, when there were still attendance restrictions in place at Wrigley, that when they are keeping the attendance down to like, is it 15,000 right now in Toronto? Uh, 15,000, including the crew. So about okay. 14,000, 13,000 fans. Yeah, so the people who show up for that are the ones who really care. Mm. And so it's, it's like they make up for the lack of numbers by the fact that they are all into it. Yeah, and not like Maple Leafs games. Mm. <laughs> Is that, uh, are, are Maple Leafs Fairweathers? I, I didn't know that that was. Uh, um, no, it's just the diehards that Maple Leafs fans can only afford upper bowl seats because all the lower bowl seats go to corporate suits who actually don't oh, care. Gosh, so it's like a Yankee Stadium situation there. I get yeah. It. yeah. Look, uh, although... Although let's not let's not get into the whole Yankee Stadium situation, given some of the things their fans have been doing this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll move on uh, to the offense. How's that sound for a pleasant topic? Uh, you mentioned Sounds Springer good. Springer earlier. Uh, so, what's been more valuable, the good version of Marcus Simeon or the healthy version of George Springer? Cool. Oh, why you do this to me, Ken? You know, it's part of the pod <laughs> code of honor. I gotta I gotta stump you every now and again. Um, God, I'm going to say the good version of Marcus Simeon. 
That's fair. And, That's and, um, makes sense. Or no, he's not yeah. even forced up, right? He's no, he's he's been second base. He's played right. a little short when sure. uh, Bo Bichette's got a break. Right. But, right, right, right. Um, and I I say that only because if George Springer's out, the Blue Jays still have a major league outfield. They have Lourdes Gurriel Jr., they have Randall Gritchett, they have Teoscar Hernandez, and they have Corey Dickerson now. Um, Springer is amazing. He's been a beast in the leadoff slot. But Marcus Simeon was also a beast in the leadoff slot when he was there. He's been doing this consistent. I think he's one of, like, a handful of players who have been in every game this season. Mm. And I, I, know, I know it's down to five because it was, like, um, three Royals, and then Bichette, Guerrero, and Simeon, um, Bichette and Guerrero both sat since then. And then Dansby Swanson, I think, huh. are the only players who um, have been in every game so far this season. And I, I'm going to double check right quick just to see if the Royals still have that designation. I'm, I'm pretty sure Dansby still does. I haven't heard anything about Dansby. Three Royals um, have played every game. And the only question that springs to mind is why? <laughs> um. It is down to two. Sal Perez has missed a game. So Carlos Santana and Whit Merrifield. Okay. So yeah. they're paying Santana. They're going to get their money's worth out of him. Maybe Mike Matheny forgot that he has a bench. I mean, that. that well, <laughs> maybe the, maybe yeah. Mike Matheny knows what his bench is. <laughs> that could also, yeah. Sorry. Just uh, going to say. Yeah, that, um, that certainly makes a lot of sense. That uh, I mean, Simon, as you say, playing every game, that means he's been there every day of the year and contributing yeah. at the level he is that's that's such a valuable asset to have is yeah they're signing him in the offseason i'd i'd love to keep him um like i'm i'm not sure um if if they'd be able to offer another big money contract right up after but i i would love to keep marcus Simeon just because um like when they signed Simeon and springer um you know, a lot was made of their talent, but a lot was also made of their personalities and what they bring to the clubhouse. Springer coming from Houston, which cheated its way to a World Series, but had been consistently good. Marcus Simeon coming from Oakland, which had been to the playoffs repeatedly, despite a low payroll, and delivering in the playoffs from that regard. These guys have seen it, they have done it, they know how to do it, and they can impart that on a team that did not have a lot of experience doing that. And you kind of saw it in the Red Sox series. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you look at it, Marcus Simeon with that walk-off home run against Matt Barnes, you were, I was shocked to hear that was his first ever walk-off home run. Mm-hmm. But a veteran player waiting for his pitch from a guy who has a tendency to give up home runs. I know Boston fans got to forget about that for a little bit, but bad Matt Barnes showed up in that series and I was <laughs> thrilled. Um, but yeah, able to identify his pitch, saw his pitch, took it. That's a, that's a game winner. The comeback they had in the Sunday game capped by George Springer's three run home run. And and that was even set up by, by guys who, you know, weren't supposed to be a part of this at the start of the season. Bravik Valera was not supposed to be in the lineup um, getting aboard. Reese McGuire was not supposed to be in the lineup drawing a nine-pitch walk to set that up. But then a guy like Springer comes up, again, a guy who's seen it all, done it all, goes up there, buries it off his former college teammate. 
one of the problems with the Blue Jays before this had been scoring late in games. Their, their offense dips from the sixth inning on. And a lot of that can be attributed to young guys trying to do too much. Vladdy's starting to swing out of his shoes. Bo Bichette's starting to swing out of his shoes. Lourdes Gurriel just getting away from what makes him a good hitter. Teoscar fishing for curveballs. A lot of times they want to be the hero, but they put too much pressure on themselves to be the hero and they end up falling short. Guys like Marcus Simeon and George Springer don't have to worry about trying to be the hero. They know they can be the heroes. So they just go out and do what they can do. And success follows. Because of that veteran presence, the Blue Jays went from potentially losing that series to the Red Sox and falling even further out of the playoff race to capping off a successful 9-2 homestand, capping off a successful 3-1 series. And the last time they're going to see Boston this year and, and, putting themselves firmly in the playoff picture. And, and that's, that's a valuable thing those two have brought in, in their short time in Toronto. It's amazing how often that works in terms of just an overall baseball narrative, isn't it? It's where you have this incredible core of young players that are all exciting, coming up at the same time, kind of blossoming. And then you need that one or two guys from outside the organization who have been there to just tell them, yeah, stay within yourselves. It's going to be okay and get on my back occasionally, and here we go. And, uh, yeah, it's happening for you guys. And there are few more exciting moments as a baseball fan when you see that clicking and realize, yep, we're about to see something really special here. And uh, on the subject of really special, before the season, I believe, when we uh, talked Jays, you had expressed something along the lines of that uh, you'd seen a couple years of Vladito at the big league level, and it's time to show up. Uh, so is he? Is he showing up now? <laughs> Has that worked out? I don't know, baby, a little yeah. bit. Yeah, no, we're we're, we're pretty a, excited. What a we're pretty player. excited with him with him making this leap, and that is it is all Vladdy. Like he he realized what he needed to work on. He got better. He got more in shape. He got better at his position. Like pop up in Anaheim, be danged. Like I mean. I, I don't blame him for losing it in the sun. God, I've, I've lost enough balls in the sun playing softball. Um, there are 10,000 jokes I can make right here, and I'm not going to make a single one of them. I'm glad you're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that might be might be a little bit much. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, this is the Vladdy everyone thought he was going to be when he was, like, number one prospect in baseball, tearing up the minor leagues, just just being this wrecking ball on offense, just just making it so pitchers did not have a safe haven and and just just absolutely exploding like this to the point where we can feasibly talk about him getting MVP consideration. I mean, if it wasn't for the second coming of Babe Ruth, which I, I made this point last night, but how funny is it that the Angels have the two best players in baseball and still are not a playoff team because they don't know how to find pitchers at all. Yeah, it like, drives me nuts as a baseball fan to see that. Uh, you've got the two guys you'd want to showcase most, and you never can because they're not competent. Like, uh, it, I, I still remember the day they announced that Mike Trout had signed the giant extension, uh, and they announced the number was something like $426 million, and the first words out of my mouth were, what are you getting out of this? <laughs> Getting sweet, sweet anonymity. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, it, if that makes you happy, good on you, you know? If, if you realize you don't need more than that, that's great. 
just as a fan, I wish, you know, we could all celebrate you to the extent where you should be celebrated. Like I said, I, I looked at that lineup they put out for Alec Manawa to feast on last <laughs> night. And, and it's like, all right, Shohei Otani, good. Um, David Fletcher, he can hit. Jared Walsh, all-star, I guess. And then it's like, Phil Gosling is your cleanup hitter. God. That is a bold strategy, Cotton. I don't feel it will pay off. And I was right. <laughs> No. The, and then Brandon Marsh, who's hitting like 155 as your number five. I'm like, this is why you fail Los Angeles so much. Somebody figure it out there, please. Are you excited to see uh, Shohei pitching against Splendido tonight? Um, it's going to be interesting. Like, I mean, that that is that is the closest like head-to-head, I think, MVP scenario you can ever imagine. Big time. And an MVP candidate literally pitching to the to his closest opponent. Um, I I don't put it in Vladdy's favor at the moment. He's he's hit a bit of a slump, so I have a feeling facing Otani's arsenal is not going to alleviate that problem uh, tonight. But it's just going to be fun to see, and and especially with Barrios going on the other side, mm, like nice. like like the big big ticket acquisition for the Blue Jays put up against the potential MVP. Like this, this is what you got Jose Barrios for is to go out there and beat this guy. Honestly, uh, I would rather watch that game than the field of dreams game. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, the, the most notable thing to come out of the field of dreams game is that guy Fieri made an apple pie hot dog, <laughs> which I... I mean, depending on how the apples are treated, I could see it. <laughs> yeah that's, I mean, that's a sad thing i could see it yeah it's i mean that's that's very america and specifically very iowa i've played enough gigs mm. in iowa to know yep that's gonna work real well and you know tip of the hat guy you've been pretty cool this past year so <laughs> uh i guess final thing to talk about uh it's it's interesting kind of with the ascendance of guerrero jr like with all the mvp talk coming his way we've kind of ignored is not the right word but it's kind of under the radar of just how consistently good Bo Bichette has been yet again uh it, it's kind of fascinating how the fortunes of Biggio and Guerrero have fluctuated around him and he's been kind of the constant ever since mm. the three of them have come up it, is he properly appreciated in Toronto at least at this point I I do believe he is I think people like he will get a little wild at times at shortstop but I think people appreciate just the effort he puts into every at bat the the um consistent pushes he makes to get better on the field like I think they appreciate honestly you know who I think really gets um gets forgotten is Teoscar Hernandez who got MVP votes last year finally got the all-star game this year is batting 305 and has 77 RBIs, same amount as Bo Bichette. Um, and he he doesn't get mentioned nearly enough because all the focus is on Vladdy, it's on Bo, it's on George Springer and, and Marcus Simeon. And Teoscar may be the most invisible five hitter mm-hmm. on a team that that there's ever been, but he's been a key part of, of the success of this team too. We saw that with the Grand Slam last night against the Angels. That's exactly what Teoscar do he punishes bad pitching, but he's worked so hard since he got here in the Francisco Liriano deal. Um, which I just like reminding uh, uh, Houston fans that y'all gave up an all-star outfielder for two months of Francisco Liriano. Wow. How's wow. that working, bud? <laughs> um, 
just just what again a guy whose work ethic whose commitment to the game whose commitment to getting better on defense commitment to cutting down on his strikeouts has allowed him to blossom into the force that he is now and all credit goes to the Blue Jays front office of Ross Atkins, Mark Shapiro, finding these guys, identifying their targets, getting them in the organization and allowing them to, to make this push themselves, to make um, this, this drive to become the players that they potentially can be. And, and that's, that's something this organization has been really good at, you know, with the likes of Edwin Encarnacion and, and Jose Bautista and and all that it's just a nice nice thing to know that potentially any player acquired in a deal could be the next you know all-star for this team it's it's like they kind of found the next generation of those guys and it's going to be one hell of a last six weeks and you're going to be there in person for it next week which is amazing uh aj do you have anything to plug while i still have you here Sure. Um, you can find the Locked On Blue Jays podcast wherever you find your podcast, whatever platform it will be on there. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at a underscore J underscore Andrews. The underscores are there because Twitter is dumb, but they gave me a check mark, so that might be proof they're more dumb. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, like if you're at the Rogers Center on August. Uh, August, um, what is, shoot, I don't even know what day it is. August 20th, I will, I will be there. So come say hi. You'll probably be able to see my hair color and pick <laughs> me out. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing baseball in person again. Awesome. And I'm looking forward to hearing OK Blue Jays sometime in October. AJ Andrews, this has been great as always. Thank you, Kat.